Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Here we go. Over the middle, caught by Hollywood Brown. See you later. Hollywood to the house. Jackson, the spin and toss. Ingram makes a man miss. Diving. Touchdown. What an effort. Russell Wilson's first pass to Metcalf. And Metcalf had it, lost it, and is picked up by the Ravens. And running in is Marlon Humphrey for the touchdown. There's a second down and three. Jackson takes it himself. Look at him turn back and forth. Oh! He broke his ankles. Now he's got an entourage. And he's got a touchdown. He is Houdini. What a play. 47-yard touchdown run by the magical quarterback, Lamar Jackson. Hello and welcome to another episode of Pod Like a Raven. Bit of a strange week for us. There's NFL to talk about. There's no Ravens game to recap. There's no Ravens game to preview, but that's okay. We're going to talk about some other NFL games that happened this week and uh, talk about some Ravens news. Uh, I'm Antonio Barbera, and I'm joined by my two co-hosts, starting off first with Tim Horsey. Tim, uh, a fun weekend of football, but, but one where there was a big absence for the three of us. Yeah, for sure. I mean, entertaining, absolutely. But I have to say, out of the four potential matchups going into conference championship weekend, this is the worst one. Uh, we have to watch Tom Brady play in another Super Bowl. And the Kansas City Chiefs are going to be dominant for the rest of Lamar Jackson's career. So that's fun. Um, but yeah, outside of that, it was an entertaining weekend of football, I'd say. And joining us from the West Coast, Jace Evans. Jace, how you doing, man? Yeah, I'm doing well. Similar to Tim, uh, I thought two pretty good games you don't always get. Uh, last year's conference championship games were very not exciting at all, so this was at least uh, got away from the Bills a little late. But this was, I thought, two pretty entertaining games, two interesting games. Um, and, you know, outside of Tom Brady reaching the Super Bowl for the 10th time in his career, exactly what I'm looking for in a conference championship weekend. So, uh, you know, take the good with the bad, I suppose. <laughs> We are going to preview those games, or excuse me, recap those games in just a few minutes. But first, this is a Ravens podcast, so we have some Ravens highlights to give you guys. And really, first we want to talk about sort of that first wave of Raven players already cut. Uh, Some of these even happened a few days ago, but we didn't have an opportunity to to talk about it last week on the last episode through our tears. Um, But some of the guys, uh, in order to make cap space, some of the names we sort of saw coming the writing was on the wall for a few of them mark ingram released uh i think last monday in fact so it's been almost or i guess at this point more than a full week ago uh rg3 will not be returning to the ravens and then today or yeah as we record on on monday evening today's 
the saddest uh, potential uh, cut, and that's Morgan Cox. I shouldn't say cut, but Morgan Cox will not be re-signing with the Ravens. The the team let him know today. One of the longest tenured guys, a member of the the vaunted Ravens Wolfpack. Um, so I turn to you guys now with these three players gone, and I, I guess it's not really a fair question to ask who are you going to miss the most, but uh, what are your thoughts on, on these three guys no longer being part of the Ravens organization? Uh, I mean, quickly on Ingram, we all kind of knew it was coming, you know, and we've said it all year long, so I don't have to harp too much on it. Great locker room guy, but by the time he started being a healthy scratch and you could save, I think it's like 4 or $5 million in the cap for a team that needs money that's going to be the end of him. Uh, I hope he finds another home somewhere, not in the AFC North, um, because I think he can still contribute to a team, especially in a locker room type setting. And a guy who seems like is going to be an instant, like running backs coach as soon as he leaves the NFL, just mainly for what he brings in terms of energy and passion and stuff like that. So, you know, probably one of the more memorable two season, one and a half season Ravens. So I think that's pretty cool. Um, RG3 lost his job because Tyler Huntley played himself into a backup role. And that's that's all that is. I mean, again, younger option, cheaper, and can kind of do some of the same things. And we'll see what happens between Trace and Tyler, Trace McSorley and Tyler Huntley uh, in the offseason in terms of training camp and stuff. And then another guy who was a casualty of being too old, the all-pro long snapper, Morgan Cox, makes $1.1 million as a long snapper, and they have another guy on their roster who's six years younger and makes significantly less money. So they're going to turn to him. Uh, pretty, you know, the whole Wolfpack thing is fun. Yeah, we'll miss him, and, like, the sentiment in Ravens fandom, we'll definitely miss a guy who's been around the team since 2010, but it's kind of, I don't want to sound like a Debbie Downer, it's kind of hard to be upset about a long snapper leaving unless Nick Moore, like, just ends up being absolutely horrible uh and then we have to like beg morgan cops cox to come back on like a two million dollar deal or something um but just quickly before you guys give your thoughts i want you both to take a guess if you don't know because i'm reading this from jameson hensley's article on espn where does morgan cox rank in all-time ravens games played in their history i'll let antonio answer this because i think i saw it or in a different article i was reading so i'll, I'll let antonio take a stab at it oh i di- i didn't see this um, I would guess top 10. I, I don't know where... Top 10 is in correct. The top, he's not top 5. And if you are already saying he's top... Oh, God, is he top 5? T- Tim, is he top 5? He is not top 5. <laughs> okay. Five. <laughs> um, I don't know. Somewhere between, like, 6 and 10, I, I guess I would say. He is 7th with 165 games played in Ravens history. 7th all-time for a long snapper. The only thing I will add before, Jace, you can, I, I'd love to hear your thoughts on, on all three of those guys, but it makes me, it scares me a little bit that the first thing, one of the first things the Ravens did personnel-wise was not retain the only player on the roster who could successfully move a football backwards between three to five yards on a consistent basis. So, you know, they've said that they're going to look for, for centers. Um, now they have to also make sure that their new long snapper is going to be able to do the very basic nature of, of snapping a football that Morgan Cox did so well, but I'm shocked, uh, or at least surprised, that he played that many games in a Ravens uniform. Uh, Morgan Cox, definitely the the roster move that surprised me the most by far. I, I was genuinely surprised. I uh, 
I didn't actually even see the news until I opened Instagram uh, today when I woke up and I saw, uh, like, a, we're parting ways with Morgan Cox. Thank you, Morgan Cox, on Instagram from the Ravens. I was like, oh. And I was like, I have some things to catch up on. Uh, I So... I kind of fall on both sides of the fence. I'm with Antonio in I'm not a fan of when you have a known commodity who, you know, is older, but he's not that old. You can long snap for a very long time, and he showed no, you know. I, I, maybe he had one bad snap this year, but I don't even think that was the case. Pretty consistently one of the best, most dependable parts of your team. I'm not a fan of just uh, creating unknowns in that situation, but... I understand the move just in a cost sense. It's clear that uh, the salary cap of the NFL, because it doesn't seem like they are going to do anything to really smooth this, like uh, the NBA's tried to do and even the NHL, uh, is just going to plummet dramatically <laughs> this this uh, for next season based on the uh, just primarily lack of fans um, at games that has significantly lowered revenue and especially you consider the nfl that's a lot of money because they're putting eighty thousand fans into each one of these stadiums or close to it um so that's a problem uh for the league and the teams and it seems like with this move you know they're just the ravens are like we could save you know uh, 20 bucks yeah well yeah morgan coxie quote unquote only made 1.1 million but if you're paying the guy who's got to do his job six hundred thousand dollars you know that's 500,000 here, you know, you get rid of RG3, that's another couple hundred thousand million. Uh, Mark Ingram, as Tim said, five million, and that's the most... Mark Ingram's probably the one I'm personally saddest about, even though, obviously, Morgan Cox was, you know, member of the Super Bowl team, part of the Wolfpack in Baltimore for a very long time, but Ingram was just such an infectious personality in the locker room and so fun with the, the Big Trust stuff. I own a Big Trust t-shirt. Uh, <laughs> all that stuff was just really fun, and I thought he just made such an impact in his two seasons. But we talked all year, you know. It was clear it's, the Ravens found their footing when they went with just the, the J.K. Dobbins-Gus Edwards tandem, and uh, they're going to try to roll with that moving forward, assuming for some reason they like don't i guess resign gus edwards i don't know why they wouldn't do that but he is a restricted free agent as well um so yeah uh the ingram one made the most sense saves them five million morgan cox surprised me the most but i get it the cap's gonna be tight and they got big contracts they've signed with marlon humphrey ronnie stanley big contracts they need to sign eventually with lamar jackson so that's the cost of doing business in the nfl so (laughs) it's uh you know mark ingram 2019 rushed for over a thousand yards, averaged five yards a carry. In 2020, obviously significantly fewer carries. Still averaged 4.2 uh, an attempt there. So yeah, hopefully we see him playing somewhere in the NFC next. Year. <laughs> um, all right, and then some other things to talk about. A couple of press conferences happened. Uh, John Harbaugh had his end of season press conference, and Eric DaCosta had um, what I think was his only his first press conference since after the the draft several months ago so some insight from those two guys tim uh starting with harbaugh what were some of the maybe some of the football the football comments the football statements that harbaugh tends to make at these press conferences what maybe stuck out to you uh that may hold a little bit more weight besides just that sort of press conference football speak 
uh, Harbaugh calling everybody out who wants a player on the team that can catch the damn ball, I think is pretty interesting. Um, if you didn't see the quote, which has happened a few, it happened a few days ago at time of recording, so I'm sure you have, but I've got it here in full because I want kind of want to break it down. And, and you know, I am busting his chops a little bit, but overall, I do like the message here. Quote. I'm not going to beg anybody to be here. I'm not a college coach, and I don't have to recruit anybody. Shouts out, Jim. You want to win? You want to win? You want to be part of a great organization, and you want to be a part of a team, and you want to love coming to work every single day, and you're a football player, and you love football? I mean, this is just John Harbaugh through and through. If you're all about stats and numbers and your stat line and how many balls you catch, if you're a soldier out there, I I put that in there, necessarily, and that's all you care for, and there's a lot of teams you can go to play for, and we'll be looking forward to lining up against you. Now, let's go, go do some Oklahoma drills. Like, I mean, it's st- stereotypical John Harbaugh, but he does kind of make the point, and I think the overall point here for us to discuss is, one, the Ravens are not going out and signing Chris Godwin. <laughs> I'm sorry. Like, it's not happening. Big number one receiver money guy especially with the cap, is not coming to Baltimore. Stop trying to make it happen, Ravens, Reddit, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, whatever groups you follow. It ain't happening. Two, and I throw this to you guys, should they be going after one of these guys? Should they be trying to make a play for maybe not Godwin, but, you know, a Juju Smith-Schuster type? Now, I, I want him... Nowhere near the Ravens, because that man is cursed. But that level of player, maybe not your A, top, top-of-the-line free agent this summer, but that B level who could still be probably the best receiver on this team. I think it would help so many things, but I I see when, when Harbaugh says, like, you know, we're not going to beg anyone to be here. It is a thought I've had, too. I'm like... Would you want to play for the Ravens if you get, you know, the ball four times a game <laughs> or whatever? Uh, maybe maybe if you're, say, Allen Robinson, uh, I think another realistic uh, option. Uh, maybe you don't care how many times you catch the ball as you're getting X amount of millions of dollars uh, because you've spent your career catching balls from Blake Bortles and Mitch Trubisky. So Lamar Jackson's a notable upgrade. I think it does depend on the player, but... Uh, I found this whole Harbaugh press conference fascinating on a number of levels. He was he was feisty a little bit for him. He he brought out some DVOA numbers to cite the Ravens' passing efficiency uh, in the face of their totals being low. He, uh, you know, uh, vocally defended Greg Roman and said he would be back. So I I get what he's saying, and uh, I don't know I. I guess it's not a bad thing to keep the fans in check a little bit too, kind of make the expectations a little clearer right up the, off the jump in the off season. I still personally would love the Ravens to have a receiver that is able to to catch the ball consistently and is sizable of body and catch skills, but I see what he's saying. Real quick, real quickly, Antonio, before you answer, some potential guys on the market, and we're going to be talking about these guys a lot. This just comes from Spot Track. Um, I just went up 2021 free agents wide receiver and sorted by reception. So maybe I'm missing some guys in here, but I just want to give some top guys. Um, and it's the best way to search these. Allen Robinson, who Jace, uh, by the way, he's Chris Godwin level. 
there ain't no way Allen Robinson is coming to Baltimore. I'm sorry. Uh, Smith-Schuster, as we mentioned. Curtis Samuel from Carolina, who had 77 catches this year. That's weird. Marvin Jones from Detroit. Corey Davis from Tennessee. Uh, as we mentioned, Godwin. T.Y. Hilton, who's 32 years old, but in Indy. Larry Fitzgerald. Will Fuller, although I like a guy who could stay on the field. Uh, A.J. Green. And then Antonio Brown, Zach Paschal, Sammy Watkins. Then you're kind of getting into that level there. Uh, Alan Lazard, who, after watching that Packers game we'll get into, I want nothing to do with him either. But those are kind of the names being floated out there. So, Antonio, what do you think about the Ravens potentially going after a wide receiver here? I mean, I would say after you said the first few names on that list, nothing sort of popped in terms of, ooh, that's a guy that maybe on a, a slightly better deal that is going to work for the Ravens. But, look, yes, I want a t- more talented player to be the number one wide receiver and have the current roster of wideouts all step down one peg on the current roster. However, with the cap space that this team is going to have, would I rather get... Would I rather take essentially more of that pool of money and invest it in a really, really good pass rusher? Or a dominant interior lineman? Yes, absolutely. Because those, to me, are are more positions of need based on what this team does and what this team wants to do effectively. You have Andrews, you get Boyle back. Um, You have some rookie wide receivers that really didn't have too, too much of an opportunity on this team um, in Prochet and Duvernay, given the offense and given how many passes realistically they are, you know, to to spread around. Um, but so, yeah, I would rather take the money and spend it on those other two areas than sort of have to overpay a little bit for a wide receiver who, you know, gets on other teams, not even the Ravens, gets 600, 700 passing yards a game. I, I just think that type of player, that type of production is already in the building. Um, and the Ravens are not going to be able to get that dominant name, which is what I think this the, you know, the fan base and what the people expect this team needs to be a playmaker I, I don't see it after those first two or three guys yeah I'm kind of with you too um you know if they can they, if they can convince it Eric DaCosta who we'll talk about in the second too, kind of mentioned this whole I don't I don't hear this narrative about people not wanting to come receivers not wanting to come to Baltimore because of Lamar Jackson because people want to play with Lamar Jackson he is electrifying he is a great player he is a MVP of this league still the MVP by the way until they name Rodgers that loser into into the MVP as the new guy. I think there are other places this team must upgrade. Uh, and you nailed it, Antonio. You know, talk about the pass rushing guys. Remember, there's a very real chance Pernell McPhee, Tyus Bowser, Ngakwe, and Matt Judon all leave in free agency. That is a very real possibility. Someone to snap a ball would be great. And they meant right. And I said I said interior lineman. By that, I meant interior offensive linemen. I'm not sure if I actually uh, specified what I'm saying. But right. yeah, Tim, the offensive side of that. <laughs> so I think, and, and, and you look too, and I'm trying to find the exact number, um, and I'll just do it off the top of my head because I don't see it here. But the Ravens, oh, here it is, actually, from our friend Dr- Jeff Zarebeck, just cycling through his mentions. Jeff, stop replying to every single person, man. I mean, good <laughs> on you, but dear Lord. Um, he says they've used six draft picks on wide receivers in the last three years. You know, off the top of your head, Prochet, Devin DuVarnay, Hollywood Brown, Boykin, a couple other guys in there. Apologies, I can't remember. 
they might add somebody who's on that lower level, but I don't think you're getting a Godwin, an Allen Robinson, even a Smith Schuster, a guy who is instantly coming into the building to be the number one guy. And yeah, Ravens fans are going to hate that because we've never had a guy like that. This comes from Jamison Hensley in this article about from Harbaugh's presser. Over the past decade, no Ravens wide receiver has caught more than 80 passes in a season. Think about how insane that is, first of all. Over the past decade, the Ravens have not had a receiver catch more than 80 balls. Last season, Baltimore's wide receivers totaled 137 receptions, 18 fewer than any other team, and 1,729 passing yards combined. They are the only team in the NFL this year that had uh, that failed to reach a combined total of 2,000 receiving yards among all of their wide receivers. Look, the problem is people are going to see those stats and they're going to go mad. They're going to be livid at the fact that, oh, you got you have to get more talent around Lamar. You have to. The talent there starts up front, like you mentioned, Antonio. The talent starts with protecting him and improving the run game. It, it, you've seen some of these articles come out that I completely agree with. The Ravens should continue to zig while everyone zags. You're great at running the ball. Get even better, and then if you can improve the passing game off of that, I just think it's an added bonus. I think that was kind of what was interesting about what Harbaugh, um, you know, talking, he kind of def- defending Greg Roman and, you know, he saying we have to do everything better. Because uh, I kind of agree, uh, especially in light of the moves I think we saw, especially getting rid of Morgan Cox or his parting ways with him. Uh, I think they're going to be spending none money in free agency. I think they're. Uh, I think it is going to be tight. I think it's draft or almost nothing um, this off season, even with some of the space they might have. Um, and I, I, I don't know. I, so Harbaugh, he he mentioned like uh, what, another quote. This is from Jeff Zarevich's piece on Harbaugh's end of year presser. We want to be an offense that wins and scores points. In a lot of ways, we've done that. And he's right. They <laughs> led the league in scoring last year. Uh, you know, they were a top 10 team in scoring this year. Uh, I think we certainly want to diversify because I think we've seen sometimes, especially in the playoffs, the limitations of the Ravens' offensive approach at times, uh, how it can unravel. But that being said, they've won a lot of games. They went 14-2 last year. They went 11-5 this past season. Do you really want to, like, completely change what you do when it's going to get you, you know, 10 wins every season, get you into the playoffs? I think, uh, and I think, you know, COVID, I think, probably certainly didn't help uh, players like Lamar Jackson, Hollywood Brown take the leap. But I think, like, internal development and um, just sticking with what you do like not panicking and the ravens have done a good job of that over the years of not panicking and staying the course and uh you know doubling down on what you do and doing everything you can to the best and you know are they gonna have the number one Allen robinson like receiver does not look like it but they could still win 10 11 12 13 games probably next year so uh I don't know. That's a good position to be in. There's a lot worse <laughs> situations to be in than just, you know, we didn't get the number one stud receiver like we, you know, probably would have liked. Things are still okay in the hole. Yeah, Jace, that's that's a great final point. This team, it's not like they've gone 7-9 and nine the past two seasons and there's this panic where we need to change something to make this a winning team. Like, 
the change is to have a good drive to score a touchdown in a playoff game to tie the game. But I, let's dovetail then with in <laughs> um, to DaCosta's press conference. Um, he he announced that he anticipates about fifteen to twenty million dollars in cap space. He's already talking about wanting to extend uh, Lamar Jackson, which is obviously a, number one going to be a big contract. Number two going to in theory, would take up a lot of that fifteen to twenty million dollars in cap space. So, what did you guys think of uh, of DeCosta's press conference? Which was uh, this is obviously you're listening to this on Tuesday, but this conference was uh, Monday morning. But here's the here's the thing, though. EDC said a lot of stuff. He said the receiver thing that we talked about before. This Lamar Jackson thing is the thing that really stood out to me. That. They will speak to the reigning MVP in the next 10 days, and they want to get this deal done. It sounds like this offseason. If you don't know, Lamar is going into the final year of his rookie deal this coming season where he'd make about $1.77 million, which is an absolute steal. Then if uh, he plays the following season on that contract, it's a fifth-year option that the team can pick up. He would make significantly more money there. I believe it's an average Dow. Jason, correct me if I'm wrong. But yeah, I think it's like I think, average. Yeah, it would be somewhere I think between like 15 and 20 million or something. It goes up a lot, right? The final so, year. so it skyrockets in that final year, and they want to get him locked down now. Obviously, you love hearing this this commitment come out. I think I think we're all in agreement. We want to see Lamar Jackson in a Baltimore Ravens uniform for a very very long time. Uh, we are there are no detractors on this podcast for. As you know, the criticism that we do give him when I think he rightly deserves it. And he would say that himself, you know, when he joins this podcast in the future, hopefully. That'd be really cool. Um, if you look at some of these deals that these guys got, you're comparing, I don't think you can compare him to Mahomes and Watson, uh, or Mahomes, maybe Watson. Jackson, this comes from Jameson Hensley as well, would likely command at least $40 million per season on an extension. That is a lot of money. But here is the case for signing him now. That is only going to go up. That that number, that quarterback number, I don't care if the cap is plummeting this year, as Jace mentioned earlier. The quarterback number will only go up. And you know what? Optimistically, optimistic Tim here, look out. Doesn't usually happen. This might be the low ball point to get Lamar on an extension. They kind of struggled in the season. There's more. He won his playoff game, but they still couldn't get past the divisional round. He didn't win the MVP this season, although he is still the MVP at time of recording. This might be the time to sign him. Plus, another thing that I forgot, Lamar's camp, I'm relatively certain he still doesn't have an agent. Like, I'd have to confirm that, but I'm pretty sure he's still doing the Ed Reed, I make my own deals thing. Shout out, Ed Reed. Now might be the time to tie him up and lock him down, take the cap hit a little bit early, and deal with the rest of it as it comes. I think, you know, people have been talking about, and we've talked about on this podcast over and over again, the window is now, the window is now, you got to win, bring the players in while he's on a tiny deal, and try and win that Super Bowl like the Seahawks did, and obviously the Chiefs just most recently did as well. For me, I kind of... I lean towards now is the time to sign him because I think he's only going to get astronomically more expensive the more and more they wait. I fall on both sides of this uh, thought. Pick a side, I, Jace. Come I on. I know, I know, Tim. Uh, well, because on the one hand, you know, 
we live in an NFL where we have the Carson Wentz contract and the Jared Goff contract, two of the worst deals in the NFL that are just now kicking in on deals they similarly signed uh, pretty much in their third seasons, fourth seasons, I believe, a lot earlier than, you know, they absolutely had to. And that has not worked out for those teams. That being, to your other point, though, they signed those guys at their high points. Wentz, I would believe, was in 2018 he signed that deal. So the year after he almost won MVP, Goff, I believe, was in 2018 as well, the year they went to the Super Bowl, um, or at least that offseason. Uh, but I agree with you. I think this is actually a decent time to sign Lamar, because if you, obviously they would have never done it this early, but if you sign him coming off last season, his MVP season, 36 touchdowns, you know, whatever, he had six interceptions, set the all-time mark for rushing yards by a quarterback, that's a $200 million contract. It's not quite Mahomes because no one's quite Mahomes, but it's a lot. But I think if you sign him now, you're signing him to essentially what's market value, I think. I think you'd fall around Watson territory, maybe even a little lower. Um, and to your other point, it's a decent time, I think, dis- despite the lowering cap of the pandemic. The NFL TV rights deal is up in a year or two. I believe it's in 2022 offseason, or 2021, 2022. So, like, after this upcoming season, I guess. Um, or sometime in 2022. And the NFL's trying to get $100 billion on this TV contract. Um, that, if they get what they want, and it seems like they will, because I think the pandemic has shown the NFL is the sport that cannot be, uh, you know, we saw record low ratings in every other sport but not the NFL. Uh, <laughs> the NFL, I think, is still a monolith. And, you know, you get this new TV deal, you get fans back in the stands, cap will go right back up in a hurry. And then if you get Lamar locked in on a market deal now, as you said, it won't be a market deal. It will be a below market deal in a few years from now. Uh, so I see the case for doing both sides. Um, it's definitely interesting and I think encouraging that even despite some of his struggles in playoff games, the team's still very much behind him and knows he can improve and i think he knows he can improve so i'm excited i hope they get something done and he's around for a long time yeah the the points are correct tim the issue is we're two i i guess i'll say it, me i'm two years removed from joe flacco's contract just <laughs> being this albatross that the team had to deal with seemingly forever that stopped the team from getting any sort of big-name player ever, and we had to deal with the Jeremy Macklins of the world and the Mike Wallaces and the Kamar Akins, even though he was a draft guy, but still. So that's what's tough to swallow, <laughs> is that I like don't want to rip the Band-Aid off yet because I still want to believe this team can sign help. And once that deal happens with Jackson... That's the big chunk, and now you have to sort of scrounge around at a lot of other positions. And that doesn't work for teams, but that doesn't mean you can just let Jackson go. So I think all your points are, are really well taken, um, yeah, and I but do here's, that. Here's the argument against that, Antonio. Again, like, like Goff, which Jace just terrified me when he said that, because it's like, oh, Jesus, don't even start comparing those two. They signed Flacco bet on himself and won a Super Bowl. And that is the absolute maximum height of his powers. And Joe Flacco never got anywhere near that level again. It was historic. It was Joe Montana like 11 touchdowns, zero interceptions, 
the the uh, mile high miracle, all this stuff in a Super Bowl or playoff performance that it will live on for ages. I mean, people love to hate on Joe Flacco, so it won't. But in Baltimore, it will. We'll say that. Lamar played worse than he did last year and could be argued, if you're being positive, I like to believe in the guy. I think he's going to improve. Outside of his rookie year, if we're looking back, maybe this year is the worst year of his career. Now, that's very optimistic because that would be a Hall of Fame-like career if that's the case, I would think. You know, if you add some accolades, a couple more MVPs, Super Bowl or two. I'm willing to take that bet with him. Just like I was willing to take the bet with Flacco. And then what happened was, yes, it hamstrung the team. But what hamstrung the team more was Flacco's play. And it, it plummeted, especially in the last couple of years. I don't expect to see that from, from Lamar, one of the most electrifying players in NFL history already. Uh, and that's why I think you got to do it at some point. Now is the time to sign that Albatross deal because it's going to be a tiny albatross compared to the monstrosity it would be if, you know... Like a full, the full-grown right, bird. Right, the, the right. The adult version of the albatross rather than the child version. Yeah, exactly. And the... Look, Tim, I, I agree. I, that's not so much comparing the, the players as it is just the number and the percentage of what you're then allowed to, to spend on, on help for that particular player. But the other... The final thing I, I'll say that, that is another positive is Jackson... Aside from the, the two players' uh, skill levels, which are obviously very different, Jackson getting this deal would be at age 24. I think he's about to turn 25. And Flacco was 28 when when he got that deal, at least 27, but um, 27 or 28. So you're already sort of, in theory, the prime is, is slotted down even further in terms of the tail end of the deal would still be prime years in theory where he'll be like 28, 29 as opposed to 32, 33 kind of thing. So... We will see what happens. Anything else, guys, from the DaCosta press conference before we move on from this? Well, this doesn't have to deal with uh, DaCosta as much, but uh, I guess before we move off the Ravens entirely, some very strange slash funny uh, coach hirings. Um, Rob Ryan, brother of Rex Ryan, yes. uh, with man with impeccable hair and large of gut, a uh, big role model of mine. Uh he, he is now the inside linebackers coach uh, for the Ravens. And uh, former Raven, probably future random Raven, Anthony Weaver is uh, on staff now. He most recently served as defensive coordinator of the Houston Texans. He's got a dual role. He's uh, is a defensive line coach slash run game coordinator is, I believe, his, his duties now. So that's seems like a lot of hands and <laughs> different pies, but yeah. Uh, yeah, Anthony Weaver, a former Raven on the John Harbaugh staff now. So those are just two, you know. I I think Rob Ryan at inside linebackers where you want him. I don't think you want him at DC, but I'm sure he'll be fine. He'll be entertaining if nothing else. So, yeah, two coaching hires as well. I want to expand on that a little bit before we move on. But I will say, we should reiterate, DaCosta in his presser on Monday made mention of upgrading the offensive line. And you could kind of take his comments that they are prioritizing that over the wide receiver with this just perfect quote, quote, we certainly have to do a better job of getting the ball back to the quarterback. We have options at that position, mentioning the guys on the team, the draft or free agency, Corey Lindsley, 
Baltimore's a beautiful place. Like, just just come on down, baby. Um, on the coach hirings, I think it's Anthony Weaver was one of those guys that when I saw him week one against the Chiefs and they show him on the sideline, you do like a double take. Like, wait, it's, it's <laughs> that Anthony Weaver? The, the How he's doing the roles on both sides of the ball, I don't know how any of that works. I love having another Ryan in the building. And I love that – and I don't love it for him because he deserves a, a job. But I love that no one is calling Wink Martindale. I absolutely love it. Um, you know, we talked a little bit about the sack numbers and stuff. Uh, I believe DaCosta and or Harbaugh mentioned it in their presser about how teams were just now getting the ball out quicker so your sack numbers aren't going to be as good. I thought the defense improved immensely over the final part of the season. Obviously, in the playoffs, we talked about it extensively. So it looks like both Roman, who wasn't really a candidate for a job this year, um, and Wink Martindale, who some people are like, you know, why isn't this guy getting any opportunities? They're both back in Baltimore, which I think, you know, hopefully they're both back in Baltimore. That should be a, a, a massive boost for a team to have a little bit more um, – what is it? You know, they've been together for a while, too, which is only going to be a good thing for a team that's been so successful uh, recently. The continuity coming off of a COVID There's season and having a full off season to... Greg, I'm looking at you, man. A full off season to implement some new wrinkles into the offense to, to tr- truly take it to the next level. Maybe right. hire a passing game coordinator. You know, help <laughs> out with is Derek Mason? He's available again, right? It Wasn't he uh, sure. somewhat recently let go as a, as a college coach? Yep. So. Derek can teach him teach him how to run routes. All right. Let's turn now. We're going to do the random Raven now and then preview, or, wow, recap the two uh, championship, conference championship games. So Tim is up this week with the random Raven. Tim, who do you have for us? Yeah, we record this on a Monday, so Antonio just wants to go back to the weekend. That's why I keep saying preview. I, you're just... I want to go back to before when Ravens were playing football games yeah, again. Right. <laughs> I, just... I, did have, I did have this thought. I, I woke up this weekend. I, I think it was even on Saturday, not Sunday. And I had this just dread. I wasn't even like dreaming about it or anything. Just this dread of September is so far away. And like we're not going to get to watch the Ravens for nine months. And I hate it. But anyway, let's not think about that too long. Here's my random Raven. Clue number one. This player was drafted in the third round of the 2003 NFL draft by the Cincinnati Bengals. He spent his entire career in the AFC playing for four teams. He played one year in Baltimore in 2009. I know, I know they're general. I know I apologize. Couldn't think. No, Tim, you're, you're stealing my one-year Ravens. One-year Raven. I couldn't find a ton of stuff on this guy, I will admit. That's why uh, there isn't a ton. I do have some bonus clues at the end that we'll save for the end. I'll give you the – let's see here. Real quickly, I'll give you the college he was drafted at. He was drafted out of Tennessee in the third round of the 2003 draft uh, by the Bengals, played for four teams, all in the AFC, one season in Baltimore in 2009. Clue number four. His one season in Baltimore was his best, setting career highs across the board with 31 receptions, 431 yards, and two touchdowns. He caught over 70% of the passes thrown his way and was known as a pretty decent third, third down target. Guy could move the chains for you a little bit. At least in my household. I, I don't know if that was like a consensus thing, but he was always the guy, throw it to this guy on third down. Clue number five, 
He wore the same number as an often criticized second-year player who stepped up and had a big playoffs this season. I know there's not a ton there. 2009 Both? Ravens? You said? 2009 Ravens. I'll give you All right, here we go. Nothing right. Now. I will give you I will give you I think I I I think I have a chance here. Okay. I think I have a chance and that number Tim was uh Gigantic. That's all it's going to... I mean, yeah. Th- I, I know this is a hard one. I usually give easy ones. I know this is a tough one. But we're kind of getting down to the nitty-gritty here. I'll give the bonus clues now. Because the way Jace was stumped, I feel like the listeners are like... Oh, do one. Just do one. And then save one for the end of the episode. Okay. That's fine. Yeah, I'll give works. you one. Uh, this comes right from his Wikipedia, uh, talking about his time in Cincinnati. Quote, in Cincinnati, he was famous for his signature squirrel dance after scoring touchdowns. What's this guy's name? That actually I'm all over it. I'm all over it. it. Tim, the the in in retrospect, the best clue was on third down. Get it to him because he seems to do good things on third. That's absolutely how I viewed him as well. Okay, good. Not a ton of production, but seemed to do good stuff on third down. I mean, when his career year was 34 receptions in 2009 with the Ravens, you kind of know that you know didn't make a massive impact in the league. I got nothing right now. I'm, <laughs> I'm like visualizing the dance, but I yeah I'm yeah yeah. We'll I've back. written his name out now, and now I have my doubts now that I see it written down. But I'm gonna stick. I'm gonna stick with what I have. That's a phenomenal random Raven, Tim. Uh, given how far we are in these in terms of random Raven roster, uh, that's fantastic. We will have Tim recap those clues at the end of the episode and maybe add on that last uh, additional hint that, that he's holding in there. But if you, if the listener gets this one, shouts let out. us know. Yeah, shouts yeah, out to let you. Let us know, and we'll, uh, we'll give you a plug. All right, let's look at the two conference championship games that happened this past weekend, starting off in the NFC with the vaunted matchup of the two future Hall of Fame quarterbacks, Packers versus Bucks, Rodgers against Brady, Rodgers is at home this year, so it's going to be a whole different thing. He never gets the conference championship at home, and it didn't really work out so well for him in the pack. Tampa Bay winning 31-26 in what was a strange game, uh, an infuriating game at times, and one that had a sort of baffling end to both halves. Um, (laughs) Let's start with... Uh, The first thing that I wrote down in terms of my memory of this game is that it must be nice to be able to consistently get pressure on a quarterback with four people. And that's exactly what the Bucs were able to do all day against Rodgers. And that just sort of, I mean, we've seen it a bunch, but that's the formula for teams to go deep into the postseason. Your defense does not have to be dominant but you have to be able to get really good pressure with four guys and be able to sit and drop everybody else back. Um, what did you guys think of the Bucks defensively in this game against uh, against the Packers? Able to get a lot of sacks on Rodgers. Um, they gave up some points, but but able to bottle bottle him up a lot of different in a lot of different situations, a lot of different drives in this game. I think the number was twenty two pressures total. Twenty two. <laughs> On Aaron Rodgers, and again, they're not a team that does, like we talked about with the Steelers and some other teams, you know, the two and a half seconds and out, or like even less than that. The ball's coming out, so it's tougher to pressure those guys, like we saw happen a lot with the Ravens this year because they know Wink is going to blitz. But, yeah, that Bucks defense is loaded, man. I mean, come on. 
Big man Vita Vea. You know I'm mentioning the nose tackle first. Getting back, getting some reps. And Dominican Sue just is on this team. Uh, Jason Pierre-Paul, all eight fingers, is still playing out of his mind. <laughs> Shaquille Barrett's great. Back the Brinks truck up for Levante David to, to put next to Patty Queen. He's already brilliant with Devin White. That is my one, like, if you had a, and maybe we'll do this in the offseason when we're really bored, one dream player you could just pick from a team, contract doesn't matter, um, you know, uh, years on the contract don't matter, whatever. He can play one season with the Ravens. I know it's stupid because the Ravens have so many more areas of need, but I want to watch Levante David play football in a Ravens uniform because that guy is incredible, and he's finally getting the credit he deserves. Devin White's a dude, too. Um, and their secondary was great. Murphy Bunting and uh, the other safety who forced the fumble but then ended up going out. Apologies, I can't remember his name. Uh, and then they didn't even have Antoine Winfield Jr., their other starting safety. I think Murphy Bunting might be a slot corner. Apologies. The defense is awesome. I love watching the Bucks defense. I can't wait to watch half of the Super Bowl when it's Pat Mahomes versus their defense. The other half, I'm probably just going to go to the bathroom because I won't be able to stand it. But the way that they bottled Rodgers in the right moments, I think, was not my main talking point. But if you want to start there, absolutely. I think the Bucks defense was absolutely incredible, and they have been all year. I mean, they loaded up on the offensive side of the ball with weapons for Brady, but that defense is what has stepped up time and time again. Yeah, I, I think Todd Bowles is an incredible defensive coordinator. Um, he's actually the last coach to have a winning season with the Jets. Uh, you know, in hindsight, you wonder, you probably should get another head coaching shot because I don't know that you should be judged on what you accomplish or don't accomplish with the Jets. <laughs> but Bowles, awesome DC. And you said, I saw, yeah, Sean Murphy bunting tied an Ed Reed record for uh, interceptions in your first, like, three postseason games or whatever, uh, or in each of your first three postseason games, which Ed Reed had done. Um, and, uh, yeah, I mean, I love Devin White. He's so good. I was really high on him out of LSU, and so I'm glad he's found success. But... Yeah, I think the defense, you nailed it, Tim. Uh, I think you have to say they won this game. The The, the five sacks were tied for, I believe, a season high on Rodgers. Um, and all seemed to come in critical moments, too. Like, a lot on third downs, it seemed. But, uh, yeah, I think the defense, you can definitively say, and this kind of transitions into what the Bucks were doing on offense, because... I think you could definitively say the defense won this game for the Bucks because Tom Brady threw three interceptions on consecutive drives in the second half of this game. Three interceptions on seven throws, I believe it was. Uh, and the Packers only scored three points, or six points, excuse me, off of those turnovers. They, uh, you know, two of those, uh, after the two of those interceptions, the Packers did get one touchdown, but then otherwise a three and out, and a three and out off of two Tom Brady interceptions in what, uh, after the first pick in Packers touchdown, became a 28-23 game. So, a very winnable game, I think, for the Packers after after Brady throws those interceptions. And the Bucks just, the defense shut the door. Um, and so, yeah, they really bailed Brady out in the second half, and it's why they're in the Super Bowl. Because uh, they didn't, uh, they prevented points off turnovers. And they forced their own turnovers uh, that they got points off of, which I guess we can also get into here, uh, namely right before the half and right after the half in what was one of the worst sequences I think I've ever seen a football team execute on either side of the, the halftime there. 
it is it's impossible to me how mistakes like this still ha- we you the three of us watch a lot of football the three of us have never coached football I don't know. I have never played a single down of football at any stage of my life. I don't know if the two of you have, but it seems pretty obvious that when there's six seconds left in a half and a team has no timeouts and they're at midfield, you really just have to, you know, recess style, put everybody in the end zone. Like, this should not be that complicated. And playing just straight man-to-man with one safety doesn't seem like the answer, and... And just continuing down the list, having that one corner who's in man-to-man decide that, like, playing off isn't the solution here and just giving every single yard in front of him is fine. And you give up a touchdown wide open, really. Like, the easiest (laughs) deep touchdown pass you could possibly have to uh, Tom Brady's new favorite slot receiver, Scotty Miller... And it that, that ends up being a gigantic play in this game. They're able to then get the turnover to start the second half and score another touchdown. And they're up three scores. And the Packers at that point are chasing the entire rest of the game in a situation which should never have happened. And I don't understand it. And then it leads to the end of the game as well. I'll stop now. But, uh, Tim, end of, end of the game. Let's start with you because we all really need our, I guess, our 30 seconds on this. But the Packers, down eight. It's fourth down. There's just over two minutes left from the eight-yard line. What, what are you doing in that situation? Are you kicking the field goal and then saying, I'll just get the ball back from the greatest football player in the history of the NFL in three downs? Or are you saying maybe I should try to take a, a chance here and tie the game? I wouldn't have let Matt LaFleur leave with any Packers gear on after that decision. It was moronic. It was cowardly. It was insane, frankly, what he did to blow this game. It was ridiculous. And look, I want to talk about some incidents before. It's not even what lost them this game. What lost them this football game is picking Tom Brady off on three straight possessions for the Buccaneers. First time, you go down the field, 13 plays, 68 yards, touchdown. You're like, there's Rodgers. There you go. Interception again from Brady. Three plays, minus five yards, punt it. Brady throws another pick. Three plays, zero yards, punt it. Just mind-bogglingly, that's a word, bad from the Packers' offense there. But you get to the end of the game. It's third down. There's all this stuff about should Rodgers have run it in. By the way, uh, if you look at the, the freeze frame, he's got a lot of room, right? Devin White is right there, too. Devin White is catching Aaron Rodgers and tackling him. Now... Maybe he gets it to, like, the two, and Matt LaFleur decides not to be inept and at his job, and I'm trying to not say anything else because this is a family show. Just inept, completely and utterly inept at his job, and maybe go for it there. When you already went for two beforehand, your receiver, because you don't get anybody else other than Devontae Adams, and you drafted Jordan Love, who's never going to be anything other than a backup in this league, in the first round, you don't decide to get a receiver in the most loaded draft in years for Aaron Rodgers, one of the greatest quarterbacks of all time, to maybe win a Super Bowl as he goes out. This guy drops a ball, and you decide to go for two there, right? You're being aggressive. You're, you're probably making the smart play. You want to say, hey, we're winning this football game. We're going to go up six, and then we're going to score another touchdown and win. Now you're down eight, and that's when you puss out? Are you kidding me? It, is, it was asinine, because what, what do you think? 
my mediocre defense who just let Scotty Miller, who, by the way, is, is a turn and burner. The guy was a track athlete. He's not your stereotypical Julian Edelman, and everybody wants to make the comparison because small white guy. The dude can burn. He should have been that open, but he can. Mike Patton, one of the worst defensive coordinators in the league. You're letting that defense, that defense, go out against the greatest winner in the history of sports, not named Muhammad Ali, not named Serena Williams, not named Tiger Woods or Michael Jordan. Outside of those people, probably the greatest winner in the history, and you might even be able to debate those power rankings if you want. You're going to let that guy get the ball with two minutes left? Are you insane? It, it makes absolute. I know you said 30 seconds. I'm sorry. I'm going a little longer than that. The teams, and we'll get to the Bills, too, here in a second. I, I would be calling for Harbaugh's head after all he did for this franchise. I'd be calling for his head after just plain scared like that, especially when you have a guy like Aaron Rodgers. And you know what? You know what LeFleur deserves? He should leave. Rodgers should leave. Rodgers should go out the door and go to another franchise who is going to build a team around him. He looks at the other side of the field. Tom Brady is 43 years old. Everybody, people were like, I don't know if he can throw anymore. And what do the Bucks do anyway? Built him a fantastic offense. Brought in Antonio Brown, who nobody wanted only because Brady wanted him. Brought in Gronk, who hasn't really done anything, but Brady wanted him, so they brought him in. And Brady has brought them to a Super Bowl because of it. The Packers have completely wasted the Aaron Rodgers era, and he should leave to go find somebody else. I think that's for me is, you know, it's, that's why you have to go for it on fourth. You have Aaron Rodgers, the MVP of the league. You could argue literally Aaron Rodgers might be the greatest player in the history of the Green Bay Packers. Our, our winningest franchise in the NFL history won more championships than any team in NFL history. He might be the best player they've ever had. Truly, he's going to win his third MVP this year. And to just not have the faith in him on fourth down, I think you kind of saw because you mentioned that play where you could run to him. Because I agree. I I was like, people are like, he's running it in. I'm like, yeah, he, I don't know that people have watched Aaron Rodgers run a ton this year. It's not what it used to be. That's for sure. Um, but, uh, I, you know, I think he even said if he knew his coach wasn't going to go for it on fourth, he might have, uh, you know, tucked and ran. Um, and I think that just was a lack of somewhere. There was a lack of communication because it seemed like Rogers was surprised they were going to kick the field goal. I just, and that's mainly the thing for me is I just don't know. Cause you know, I didn't love them going for two earlier. Cause I always hate when I'm like, when you can be in a position to score a touchdown and I'll just kick the extra point to tie the game. That's where I want to be. But if they had made that, uh, you know, if they had, if Equinemius St. Brown just catches the, the ball in the end zone that hits his hands, they're down three points. And even if the Bucks add that field goal that they did, they're only up six. Um, so, you know, I, that decision's whatever. But And I know you have to get eight. But if there's anyone you trust in the league, Aaron Rodgers has to be top three guys you trust in that scenario. So that's just what I hated about it because... And even if you don't get the fourth down, you still are in the exact same place you were realistically, at least with the clock. And then, um, you know, you're still relying on your defense. <laughs> so Jason, I, I love that point. If if you think your defense can get a stop on three plays and get the ball back, why don't you try to score? <laughs> and then if you don't, you have that situation from Tampa Bay's eight-yard line. And then if you still believe your defense can get that three and out, 
you're still down a touchdown in both of these scenarios, and you have the ball. You're going to get the ball like midfield. Yeah. And then you have a little bit of time left, and you only have to go 50 yards. Even in the situation of kicking the field goal and still needing a touchdown after that, the Bucks then get the ball at the 20, I think they got it at like the 20-yard line because their kick returner went down too early and still made it outside of the two-minute warning. But anyway, after a punt on that, the Packers would have still then had to go like 70 yards to score that touchdown. It seems wrong every way I look at it. It's infuriating. I don't understand how coaches are still doing this. And the one thing to give Harbaugh a little bit of credit, Tim, is even in the most painful playoff loss that we've seen in a long time, which was that Titans game last year, they were going for it on fourth down every time. Even after they hadn't succeeded once or twice, they still stuck with it because that's what they believed was the right thing to do statistically. And it is. And I hate it, and the Packers deserve it, and uh, we'll see what, what happens with Rodgers in this offseason. He's already had a few cryptic... Uh, interview is given so we'll see what happens the next few days and weeks let's talk about the AFC now with Chiefs and Bills with yet some more puzzling coaching decisions from the team that lost in a game where you need to score points a lot of them because you're playing the most explosive offense that the NFL has seen in 20 years ever uh and instead the Bills kicking three field goals from Kansas City's 30 on 4th and 3, from Kansas City's 2 on a 4th down and goal, and from Kansas City's 8 on 4th down and 3. All of those situations seem wrong to me. Uh, do you guys, any disagreements here? What did you guys think of the Chiefs-Bills game? The, the one before halftime was the one that I just lost my mind over. Kicking a field goal to make a 21-12 at the half instead of trying to go for it, like... You know, you you go up 9-0 early, and at that point I'm like, "Uh uh-oh, Chiefs in trouble. No, they're just so explosive, they rip off 21 points like it's nothing in the second quarter. Uh, And to to just 11 seconds to go, 12 plays, 73-yard drive, and to just settle for a 20-yard field goal, to me... That just, that just, that was the one for me. I was like, do they want to win this game or not? Because you have, you have to go for it there. You've had, you know, the second best offense in the NFL this year. (laughs) The number two scoring offense, number two in yards. And to settle for that field goal, 20 yard field goal right before halftime. It's like 21, 12, that, you know, what's that nine? It's still a two score game. So like uh, that field goal just did so nothing for me. And you know, the the Chiefs promptly out of halftime take four minutes off the clock, add another field goal to just erase that field goal <laughs> entirely, basically. I That was the one I hated. I couldn't stand that one. I thought it was, I, it just seemed like they were afraid to win. I don't know. The thing that bothers me too is when announcers say, well, look, look, I get it. I get it's a tough decision, but you just, you gotta get points there. Uh, you want to go into the half with points and feeling like you got to win. These are professional athletes. These are not like middle school children who are trying to like feel good about their test scores. Like they're pros. They will be okay if they don't convert a touchdown on fourth down and have to then try again in the second half of a game. It's infuriating to me how like I wrote it in my notes as the, the bills bringing a knife, uh, a knife to a gunfight. Like you can't play, where well you know at least they'll feel they'll feel good about themselves going into halftime that'll be cute 
they'll be down two scores the entire rest of the game, but, you know, at least they'll feel good about that very small field goal attempt. I just, it seemed wrong at the time. This is not hard to get, and yet we see it week in, week out with these coaches who get so conservative, so afraid of making mistakes in a playoff game, and then you lose by double digits because you didn't take the points when they were there to be to be taken, basically. So, I'm sorry. And then, Tim, what would you think of... Uh, Chiefs Bills. Yeah, I think I think the other thing too is, you know, the analytics crowd. You know, they'll get in a hissy fit because, like, oh, well, you got to look at the numbers, the percentage point there. And I agree with that to a point, but there's sometimes you have to look at one either your personnel or the team you're playing in front of you and make decisions based off that. So, look, for the most part, analytics tells you to go for it anyway. But let's just say, and I, I didn't hear the press conference with McDermott. I apologize. But McDermott references, well, the numbers showed us that it was better to get the points there. You're playing the Chiefs, who are one of the best offenses of all time, and by the end of this whole thing, might be the best, unquestionably. The team that can turn it on whenever they feel like it, they legitimately have an on-off switch, and can score points at will. Just going for three points against them is a punt. I will reference this every single time. What was it? Not this year, but last year when they played the Chiefs in the regular season, the Ravens got beat because they own us, and I hate it. Well, they own the the, the entire NFL, so don't feel as bad, I guess. But Harbaugh kept going for it on these and kept being aggressive, trying to get points, trying to get points. And guess what? It didn't work. But I will defend him till I'm in the ground that that was the right decision because you have to try and keep pace with them, and you can't rely on your defense to stop them because they're just too dang good it's it's ridiculous so outside of all that the only other thing i would really want to bring up because this game was kind of boring at that point like you know and and we'll we'll preview the super bowl next week and big preview way too long of a preview on a ravens podcast type of thing i'm sure we'll do that so we don't have to talk about how great the chiefs are i want to bring up two things and it's on the other side of the ball one steve spagnolo doesn't get nearly enough credit for and i saw this on twitter from guys like nate tice some of these you know, film junkies, as it were. He's on the Athletic Football Podcast. Highly recommend if you really want to get really nerdy with this stuff. And I believe Romo might have mentioned it on the broadcast, too, about how Spagnolo is so good in the playoffs because he's so good at having, like, that week to devise these particular plans and it's not stuff you've ever really seen before. He'll save it for the times it matters. He'll bring it out against, uh, you know, whoever his opponent is. And he schemes very well on these very concentrated, like, got to win this game here it is type of thing take that for what you will about them being mediocre in the regular season but that defense is stepping up when it needs to and i think they played outstandingly well but part of that is because josh allen played scared if i'm a bills fan i am a little worried and you know it might be as as they say on like you know the pat McAfee show not to reference them because they don't need our following but overreaction Monday is what they always do on the Mondays after the NFL games. And maybe you're overreacting a little bit to say you're a little nervous about Josh Allen. But that was bad Josh Allen on Sunday night. That was butt of every joke Josh Allen on Sunday night. He was bad. He was scared. And you know what? He hasn't been good the entire playoffs. He wasn't good against the Ravens, and he wasn't good against the Colts. But where's your criticism? You know, we hear about Lamar all the time. I don't hear one thing about Josh Allen being bad yesterday. And, you know, it it pisses me off. It's annoying 
because the quarterback that we love to watch, who's dynamic and one of the most fun players in the league, constantly gets criticism, and rightly so, for his performances. And maybe I just didn't watch enough of it today, didn't listen, uh, Monday, excuse me, didn't listen to enough of it uh, in terms of recaps and stuff. But I've, I've done my fair research before this show, and I'm not hearing nearly enough criticism about how bad he played because he was piss poor. He was piss poor, and he's part of the reason they lost that game. Josh Allen, 28 of 48, two touchdowns, a pick, and lost 53 yards on four sacks trying to extend plays for absolutely no reason. That's the one for me I was going to say. And, uh, Scott Van Pelt actually said it on SportsCenter last night, but he, he said, like, Allen takes the worst sacks in the league, and it's hard to disagree. He seems like he loses a comical amount of yards just trying to keep these plays alive. And, you know, we've talked Lamar uh, tries to keep plays alive too, but Allen, like, really <laughs> real really takes that to the extremes and yeah i um had, i the bells had an excellent season but in in some ways i don't know this game almost made me more depressed about the ravens actually because i was like wow we scored 3 points against the bills and they just got blown out of the building by the chiefs so it's like what is the gap between the Ravens and Chiefs right now? And then Large. I started thinking, yeah, I started thinking about that and was like, best not to think about this. <laughs> and then I thought on the other side, and it was Tom Brady's in the Super Bowl for the tenth time in twenty years, and I was like, oh, I don't want to think about that either. So, all right, cut the episode. It, 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 cut it. it, it cut it. Yeah, I can't, I can't do this anymore. It got dark late Sunday night here in the uh, in the, uh, the the old apartment here. Uh. We're not going to do, as Tim said, a Super Bowl preview this week. We'll save that for next week. We're going to talk about some prop bets next week as well. There's always some fun ones there. The line on this game, currently Kansas City by three because, basically, this game is in Tampa Bay because as the Tom Brady gods would align, of course, his Super Bowl, the first time he plays it in a warm location, the Super Bowl is hosted in his city that one year. Uh... I'm going to do a little spoiler alert. I'm I'm very high on, on Kansas City at minus three because I think you're getting free points with the fact that this game is in Tampa Bay. Um, but we will have an extensive preview next week, talk about gambling situations. We'll all make our picks uh, quickly with my two picks uh, over this past weekend. One and one um, was incorrect on the Packers bet but did get the Chiefs bet. So 31 and 19 on the season. Um, guys, you can give out your, your picks from last week if you want quickly, and then we'll have Tim recap this random Raven one more time, and then we'll get out of here. Well, I, I was in line with Antonio, so I got the Chiefs, lost the Packers, painfully, I believed. I dared to believe in Aaron Rodgers at home in a uh, NFC title game. Unfortunately, he is now 1-4 and four in the NFC Championship since uh, going to the Super Bowl in his first game, uh, NFC title game. So, yeah. Tom Brady, yet again, ruining ruining everything for us. But. I was I was really confident in that Bucks pick with points. Brady with points in a championship game. You know, I'm not a gambling man, as I've said a number of times. But you know, that kind of motivated me to maybe start here soon, which is probably the worst time to do it in the Super Bowl <laughs> when football's about to be over. Uh, but I did win that Bucks pick, and I feel like an idiot for picking against Patrick Mahomes, just like picking against Brady. Although I know Rogers on the other side, um, because Josh Allen. Not MVP Josh Allen didn't turn up. I don't know where he was, if he's an actual thing. And maybe next year we'll just see bad Josh Allen again, God willing. Um, so lost the Bills plus three. I love, I love you, Bills Mafia. I watched the game, actually, with a bunch of Bills Mafia people. Uh, <laughs> I watched until it was 9 nothing, and then we left. 
uh, to come back, and immediately they started getting smoked. So maybe it's my fault, Bills Mafia. Don't come after me. Um, this was outside, Tim. We had a whole yes. little patio situation going. Yeah, a little outdoor, social distanced Bills party next to my apartment. They were having a Bills party. So I decided to show up in Ravens gear uh, just to say, <laughs> hey, we're supporting you. Go Bills. And they um, they pooped the bed, as it were. So I lost that Bills bet plus three, but one bucks plus three and a half. And Tim, you did send us a video of a Bills fan in a complete Darth Vader outfit, Bills colors with the charging buffalo on the Vader helmet. It was one of the most intricate costumes I've ever seen someone in. I mean, the detailing on it up close, uh, or close as I can be, obviously, with masks and everything, was outstanding. I mean... <laughs> I did not know. I should assume, obviously, you know, people, Transient City in D.C., where we're at, there's a lot of fans, a lot of different teams. The outdoor bar next to my apartment building has basically just become Bill's Mafia area for (laughs) Bill's games. So it was remarkable to kind of watch the first quarter there. And then again, we left and they tanked. So I don't know what it was like afterwards. I don't think anybody was going through any tables at that point. But anyway, (laughs) let's wrap this with a little random raven fly through these clues very quickly i know antonio has a name let's see if maybe something sparks for jace late this player was drafted in the third round of the 2003 nfl draft by the cincinnati Bengals. he played for four teams in his career all of them in the afc in 2009 he joined baltimore and spent one season there uh clue number four his one season in baltimore was his best setting career highs across the board with 31 receptions 431 yards and two touchdowns he caught over 70 percent of the passes thrown his way and was i will say commonly because antonio confirmed it commonly known as a good third down target and clue number five he wore the same number as an often criticized second year player who has stepped up big and or stepped up and had a big playoffs this year i will give you the bonus clue again from his wikipedia in cincinnati he was made famous for his signature squirrel dance after scoring touchdowns And after Cincinnati, here's the bonus clue here. After Cincinnati, he played for the Patriots, where he was mainly used on special teams. (laughs) It's like, right, but I don't have it. (laughs) I got nothing. Tim, I I believe this guy wore the number 15. I think you're talking about uh, Hollywood Brown with the criticism of a second year player i'm gonna say kelly washington is that the is that the wide receiver very good antonio holy crap that's a name takes me back (laughs) yeah uh the squirrel dance loved it couple of nice third down catches (laughs) enjoyable big body big body receiver that the ravens kind of need now um and weirdly i knew he went to the patriots at some point did not know he was a special teamer uh, on that team but that sounds right about belichick so kelly washington, kelly washington. that's a name what I a random to, dude i'd like block that name out entirely it's all like flooding back to me <laughs> uh that's a fantastic choice i'm i'm like i guess partially surprised we haven't used him but like the a random raven would slip through the cracks so that is <laughs> one of the point. best ones yeah. so far uh, all right, that's guys. That's gonna do it for us this week. Thanks for listening to us. As always, we'll be back next week with uh, hopefully some Ravens, uh, some more Ravens news and, and tidbits to talk about, and then we'll spend a nice chunk talking about the big one, the big Super Bowl, the last football game of the 2020-2021 season. That's so sad. <laughs> so sad. It's so sad. 
and then uh, the three of us get to figure out what to talk about for the next six months. For Jay Sevens and Tim Horsey, I'm Antonio Barbera. Thank you for listening to us, as always, on Pod Like a Rib, and we will see you next week. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.